Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mudiwa Gavaza, and for today, we get into a conversation about uh, probably one of the biggest topics that has uh, been dominating conversations over the last uh, week or so in South Africa. We are recording this, um, you know, for uh, the 19th of May uh, 2023, and about a week ago, we had some strong statements uh, that came out from uh, the US um, you know to South Africa accusing the country of uh, supplying Russia um, with the weapons to aid it in its efforts to win the war that it's currently waging against Ukraine. Uh, the US saying that it doesn't mind the fact that uh, South Africa has chosen uh, to be neutral in this matter but uh, could they not go beyond that and start uh, assisting um, you know some of those parties and uh, we've seen a lot of reaction a lot of conversation i think the most immediate thing that a lot of people saw from a financial point of view uh, was a weakening of the rand to sort of show uh, the fact that uh, that was one of those things that was not uh, received well by the market so to help us to understand what this means from a uh, political economy point of view we are joined by lo now who is a senior political analyst uh, with oxford economics africa to give us a little bit of inside. Hello, greetings to you today. Hello, and um, thank you for having me. I think uh, a good place for us to start, you know, by now everyone has, uh, may, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people um, uh, have heard about this and I've tried to outline um, and set the scene uh, as much as I can. I guess the question in your view, because you are, you probably uh, are following this closely. How deep is this, right? At least from a political risk point of view, is it really that deep, or is this one of those things that's just going to become another footnote in history, and a year from now we won't even care that this is something that happened? No, no, I think this is um, very serious, um, and I don't think one can actually overstate the seriousness of this. I think the has um has been over the last um year and a bit has been on a on a charm offensive in Africa. Um ever since the Biden administration actually we've seen um high profile visits and South Africa was um one of those countries who um who, who benefited from this. We received um US Secretary of State Anthony Blinken last year as part of his three country tour. That was in August. Biden then hosted um, President Ramaphosa on September 16th. And then, of course, we, along with so many African countries, um, all went back to Washington in December to attend the U.S.-Africa Leader Summit in Washington. And so there has been plenty of carrot um, from the U.S. in terms of trying to get their, what they would consider their African partners, to to sign up to their side. But perhaps this is now um, the emergence of a little bit of stick um, and to to a certain um, degree, I think this is this, the stick that we're getting now is 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 a rod that we fashioned for ourselves, because the Americans did make it quite clear that they weren't very pleased with our um, neutral position. But that um, was very difficult to maintain um, once we made it clear that we were going to proceed with our naval exercises with the the Russian and the Chinese Navy the exercise mostly two in February. Um, that was very damaging and upset a lot of people as one would imagine, because it also coincided with the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. 
And so we also saw um, Russia's um, main main vessel in that exercise, the Admiral Gorshov, the frigate, sail into into the harbor with a big V and a big um, Z painted on its funnel, which was very provocative from their side. Um, those, of course, are the letters that one sees on all the, the military equipment rolling into Ukraine. And so from that point on, I think that um, the Americans perhaps decided that they, they had tried their best um, to, to get us to... Um, maintain what we have, have throughout said was a neutral position, but wasn't really a neutral position. Um, and perhaps what we're seeing now is a little bit of stick and the Americans making it clear that they're not going to tolerate this anymore. It is interesting just to see the posture that um, the US has adopted over the last year when it comes to this particular matter. A lot of people seeing um, Ukraine as uh, being a bit of a proxy um, and that the real war is actually happening between the U.S. and Russia, um, you know, to some extent. And uh, when you then see them trying to jostle and win favor, it, especially from a, I don't want to call it a court of public opinion, right? But uh, it's literally that, you know, where you're trying to get as many world leaders on your side um, and trying to sway that public perception. And we've seen this tactic a number of times over the years, whether we're, whether it's an invasion in Iraq, uh, whether it's the war in Iran, Afghanistan in the 90s, uh, the Cold War, we, we see this, you know, happening time and time again. Keen to understand from your point of view, um, South Africa's position on that front. Um, do you think the stick, as you are referring to it, is uh, a stick that comes, you know, just trying to single out South Africa or a stick that comes given South Africa's position as the most developed um, you know, economic power on the continent, um, currently holding the BRICS chair, you know, that type of thing. Do you think that plays into it? Or are we, or is this literally an exercise where the U.S. is trying to go country by country? Or do they think that by um, getting South Africa onto their side, South Africa can then help to then influence uh, a number of other players on the continent? Yeah, I think there is a certain element of that. And I think um, what, what stood out for me um, with Ruben Brigitte's press conference last week, Thursday, was obviously the big bombshell in that press conference was him stating so explicitly that weapons were loaded onto the Lady R and he would stake his life on it. That was the big bombshell. That was always going to be the headline. But if you watch the press conference itself, you'd notice just how much time he spent in that press conference reflecting on the ANC's national conference resolutions. Um, and dissecting the language that was in that in those resolutions and taking umbrage to them, calling them hostile, if you recall. Um, and to a certain extent, he is quite right. They were, were very um, strongly worded. Um, they spoke about the fact that um, this is a that Ukraine is indeed a proxy war between between NATO and its allies and, and Russia. Um, and so he, he very much focused on that. And of course, also complained that he wasn't get, wasn't able to get a meeting with the ANC, um, and that's 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 very interesting that they they would zoom in on that and that they are starting to become um, very sensitive to some of our pronouncements um, and some of our actions, which they feel are contrary to what we're saying. That they kind of feel like we're speaking out of both ends of our mouth, um, and so I I think that you know he made it clear in in his press conference and then the subsequent. Press con the subsequent press statement that was released by um, Anthony Blinken, um, which also made it clear that South Africa is, well, the way they see it, is the recipient of a lot of 
aid and preferential treatment from the US and that there is a certain amount of quid pro quo that comes with that. And so Blinken's statement that was released um, basically two days after the press conference after he spoke to Naledi Pandor on the phone is, is very informative. It's only two sentences, but you have to kind of read through it and it says at the, at the, at the bottom, it says, um, US-South Africa strategic partnership and reiterated cooperation on shared priorities, including health, trade, and energy. And if you look at that, health is, is obviously referring to PIFA. Um, South Africa has released a lot of has received a lot of money from the United States and its AIDS program and other health programs. Um, trade is talking about AGOA, which um, comes to an end in 2025, and which in many ways South Africa um, shouldn't really be entitled to as a sort of a middle income country. And then, of course, energy being the last one, um, kind of veiled threat that South Africa might be losing out on that um, just energy transition financing from from the US. And so you could argue that South Africa is being singled out um, and perhaps this shot across the bow is aimed at South Africa, but there would be many other African countries which would be paying close attention to this and God that they wouldn't want to be singled out similarly. Um, and at the same time, we're seeing the US uh, Kenya relations are flourishing. Um, the US has got long, long-standing relations with Nigeria. There are other other African countries that they could partner with, um, and so this South African exceptionalism doesn't really exist anymore. And the Americans have made it clear that they're willing to take action. That South Africa is not going to be treated with kick clubs anymore. Yeah, it is. A, it is quite an interesting one, and uh, I like the fact that you know you are breaking down um, even the language um, you know that is being used and uh, the things that they are paying attention to. And I guess it shows uh, the fact that um, South Africa does still have that place. As much as you don't want to treat uh, the kid gloves anymore, they still hold um, that place, you know, of influence um, on the continent. But at the same time, uh, the fact that they can I call it hedging their bets uh, by investing in their relationships in the in the east and the west of Africa? Because we know uh, that when it comes to you know economic progress, there's been a lot of development um, when it comes to you know those two particular countries. And I guess the undertone, or at least um, I, I I usually call them the subtitles. Uh, the the subtitles are saying well. You guys, uh, if you don't play ball, you won't be uh, this uh, gateway to Africa. You won't have that uh, that place anymore. We have the power of making a Nigeria or a Kenya that particular that we will back them instead, and you guys will be will be out in the wind, um, you know, so to say. And uh, I, I guess the fact that, uh, like you point out, and uh, the uh, he's an ambassador, right? Um, that uh, what he, what he points out that South Africa has benefited quite a bit from that. It does put South Africa in. Can I call it a rock and a hard place? Because you've got you've received all of this, but at the same time, there's a lot of economic cooperation that's happening at a BRICS level, right? Which Russia is a big part of. So. Yeah, it's a tough one. If you are advising on policy, how do you think people should proceed? Oh my! Um, well, I think we've done a we've done a, a lot of things wrong over the last few months, um, and and the reality is that it's going to be incredibly difficult to undo the damage. Um, I I don't think that Ruben Brigitte would have gone out there and made those statements if he didn't have, shall we say, permission from Washington to make those statements. It's um, informative that he held, had held his press conference 
um, at exactly the same time that um, Ramaphosa was answering questions in Parliament. And so um, the presidency took some time to respond. They couldn't respond immediately because he was in Parliament. And it also gave the leader of the opposition, John Stiernes, an opportunity to pose the question to him in real time in the House and put him on the spot. And so often in, in diplomacy, there are no coincidences. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that this all happened at, at the same time. It's maybe not a coincidence that this was this also happened at a time when the RAND was on a, on a, on a steady decline um, for reasons that did not include the Lady R. But ultimately, um, the history does, the US does have a history of weaponizing intelligence, that this is true, but the circumstances surrounding the Lady R's docking in Simonstown are sufficiently sufficiently suspicious for just the suggestion from the US that there was something untoward for that to be enough for people to think that there was indeed um, weapons loaded on that ship. It's going to be very difficult for us to disprove ultimately. And how do you disprove it? We've already tried by saying things like the, the National Convention Arms Control Committee has got no record of sales. Um, We've made denials, although the denials have only recently become explicit. The, the initial response to the to the claims were weird in the sense that we didn't we didn't explicitly deny it. We just we, we went and said that we haven't been presented with evidence. And that's a very strange way of denying something. If you're accused of something, my dear, well, you don't say like, "Well, I haven't seen the evidence." You say, "I haven't done it," right? <laughs> and so the, the language that we used in the the immediate aftermath of this whole thing has been unhelpful. Um, I see now that um, Ramaphosa announced that um, he and five African countries are going to um, embark on a, on a mediation um, mission to, to Russia and Ukraine. We've been offering to mediate right from the start, and, and Ukraine has been quite unwilling to, to have us fulfill that role because we, we're clearly partisan, we're clearly um, friendly with Russia. So why would Ukraine um, choose us to be that mediator? This mission with um, of other other African countries is perhaps a good idea, and obviously wouldn't have happened overnight. But it just feels at the moment like it's a, a PR response from our side to try and make it seem like we're not we're not pro-Russian. But you know, the head of our armed forces in Moscow, um, the the lack of self-awareness sometimes from our government officials is quite astonishing. I know the trip was probably already planned, but considering everything that was happening, um, it would have been wise surely to just cancel that trip and not send your the head of your armed forces to moscow at this moment in time and so um if we're going to undo some of this damage first things first we have to wake up and start going that actions mean things i think the anc is so used to um evading accountability in south africa by issuing denials and by appointing commissions of inquiry or investigations that doesn't work on an international level the international community doesn't care about those things. And so that's our response typically to, to scandals in South Africa. Something terrible happens, we go commission of inquiry or an investigation, and it drags on. We can't afford for this to drag on, but inevitably it will drag on because there isn't much we can do in order to, to quash this impression that we had aided the Russians. And so perhaps the, the, the Americans, one would wonder what is their end game in all of this. The South Africans are made it clear the BRICS summit is going ahead. It is absolutely going ahead in August. Um, there's obviously a big question surrounding Vladimir Putin's participation in the BRICS summit. Um, and um, the president's newsletter on Monday, which was very informative, unlike many of his newsletters, this one actually had a lot of substance, made it clear, one, that BRICS summit was going ahead, but two, that we are also bound by our treaty obligations 
and effectively um, admitting that we would be obliged to arrest Vladimir Putin if he came in, in August. But that issue hasn't been resolved either. I think the Americans, ultimately, they do not want to see Putin touching down on South African soil, rubbing shoulders with the Brazilian and the Chinese and the South African presidents. There isn't much opportunity for Putin these days to 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 engage in these multilateral kind of fora. So he's been the Americans are trying so hard, uh, the West are trying so hard to to create him into a pariah. The last thing they want is to see him headlining a convention. I mean, and so um, some of this pressure, of course, is also focused on that. And South Africa is is like you said, caught between a rock and a hard place. Um, we've done we've done a lot of damage. We were warned. Ultimately, Sidney Mufamadi went to Washington um, the, the days ahead of this press conference um, to talk to the Americans about that the issue was raised. Um, we didn't treat it with the seriousness and the urgency that it required, and now we're paying the price. Um, and it's a long way back for us to undo the damage. Yeah, it's quite a it's quite a tricky situation that the country does find itself in, and. Um... There's one point that you mentioned earlier on, um, and it strikes me, you know, quite well when you said uh, the U.S. has a, a history of weaponizing intelligence, um, and uh, we 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 know this to be true um, in a number of instances. But on my side, um, you know, just because we know that things don't happen by coincidence. I do find it particularly interesting. Now, I was talking to some people in the currency trading community, and they noted that uh, because the press conference happened on Thursday last week, um, the rant had actually started weakening about the day or two before that. Um, it crossed 19 to the dollar. And I was talking to a couple of people in the currency community who were saying that uh, apparently bankers in the UK actually made quite a bit of money uh, because they sort of had forewarning that this was something that was going to happen uh, in a couple of days. So they got into, they made their positions and the local market um, was kind of uh, caught by surprise. And also at the same time, uh, I don't think it's it, it it would be too much of a stretch of the imagination to imagine uh, that the U.S. was aware that uh, senior military officials were also heading to to Russia at the time that they were. So you sort of, you, you call their bluff, you know, you make this move, are they going to cancel or do they? <laughs> because you, you once again, you, South Africa still finds itself in a, between a rock and a hard place, right? Um, do they cancel because of the pressure that's just happened here? Um, or do they honor the commitments that they, that they had already made? And either and either way, South Africa finds itself on the back foot. Um, so it has been, you know, quite an interesting one to watch. Uh, perhaps as we as we end all flow, your your thoughts around um, because I think all of it ties in together. Uh, one of the conversations that really seems to be popping up quite a bit is uh, the issue of a BRICS currency. And without getting into the mechanics of you know the currency, how to how will it work? Where, how will it be pegged and all that? But rather political will, right? Do you see political will behind um, something like that? Um, beyond just the five countries that make up the BRICS, do you think? This is something that could have legs in the international community. Um, well, maybe just to to back up a little bit to what you had said earlier about the the fact that the the rand was already on the slide, 
um, prior to Brigitte's press conference, we actually did a, a talking point the day before that saying that um, the most recent sell-off in risk-sensitive RAND might be overdone and anticipate a correction in the near term. And then the bomb exploded. <laughs> the RAND weakened even more. <laughs> um, so again, there are with these things, there are no coincidences. Um, in terms of this question of an, an alternative currency, um, that is... In the greater scheme of things, that conversation has been going on for a long time. In the greater scheme of things, yes, that is perhaps something that plays on, 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 on the U.S.'s mind. Um, what might be required in order for that to to come about is for the the BRICS um, block to become a larger organization. And there's already talks about certain countries who have expressed an interest in signing up to BRICS and making the circle bigger, as it were. Um, and some of the names that have been bandied around would um, would certainly be be a game changer, as it were. Um, one of the names like Saudi Arabia has expressed an interest in joining the bloc, for instance. That's a curious one because, of course, the U.S. and the Saudis are are old friends and their economies are intertwined. And so um, that would be something that um, the Americans would very much like to avoid. Um, you know, we also spoke yeah at the office the other day about what would be the end game for the for the Russia conflict. Ultimately, you know, the Chinese are the only ones who can really bring that conflict to an end because they're the only ones who can really put pressure on Russia, other than on you know supporting the Ukrainian military effort, as it were. But perversely, the Chinese will benefit from Russia being weakened by the war because it'll turn Russia into something of a vassal state for the Chinese. It really is all about the Chinese at this point in time. They are the big boys within the BRICS summit. And the Chinese themselves are the ones, I think, who, who are interested in coming up with an alternative international currency and the ones who have got the most to um, to to profit from that happening. And so it's, it's a it's not a new conversation as such, but it's perhaps one that's being that's that's being um, revived and hastened because of everything that's happening internationally. Um, and no doubt it'll come up during the BRICS summit um, and it'll be interesting to see who else gets invited to participate on the sidelines of the BRICS summit, much like the G7 summit is taking place in Japan. Um, you always have these countries that are not members of the G7 being invited to these summits, right? And South Africa have been one of those until recently. And so it might be the same with BRICS. You know, there are what, five countries that uh, that make up BRICS, but you might have other countries um, participating in that summit in like an observer or a friendly in a friendly sense to kind of start laying the groundwork for perhaps an expansion of the bloc. Um, and that's something I think that the, that the U.S. very much like to avoid. And again, like I said, it's all about China. China would be the one that would benefit the most from from a serious effort to try and establish an alternative international currency. It will be interesting to see how things uh, develop. Um, if, the, if there's one thing that we can give to the U.S. is the fact that uh, they are entrenched and uh you know getting you know disrupting the us dollar as uh, that global trade currency is is a tall order for any party um you know including you know china as the big boy uh that we are talking about right now so very keen to see how that particular um conversation does develop ending off a low keen to get um, uh, once again uh maybe as a follow up to this point around the brics currency is to say 
when we when we think of an outlook right you mentioned at the beginning that uh, south africa has made a number of missteps in, in its recent history um when it on the international stage um how what are some of the things that you'll be looking out for rather than saying what should they do but what are some of the key things that are upcoming um that you think are going to be um key things to watch um you know for um, you know for the South African government. Um, I think obviously um, uh, the BRICS summit in uh, in August. We've already spent time talking about you know that and you know whether or not um, the South African government would arrest uh, Putin. But I'm sure that there's other things that you might be keeping an eye on uh, just to see how the South Africa position itself. Um, yeah, I think the BRICS summit is the is the big one, but people also um, often refer to the the supposed AGOA summit that's supposed to take place this year in South Africa. It's very difficult to get information on that particular summit. Um, it's supposed to happen right after the BRICS summit, um, but if you go to the AGOA website and you go to upcoming events, you can't find a lot of information about it. And so, it's going to be interesting to see how how big an event um, that is going to be, because that gives us an opportunity to show that we're, you know, hosting different sides. Um, we'll be interested to see how our proposal for these five African countries to to act as a mediator, how it's how it's received. It might prove to be dead in the water, and and come to absolutely nothing. Um, but it would be interesting if if the two sides um, were to say that they're interested in pursuing that avenue. Um, and then, as we've seen right from the start, from the the, the conflict is is these little votes that take place from time to time at the United Nations. And it'll be interesting to see. I don't think South Africa is going to change its voting record. It has abstained from voting throughout. But we have seen some African countries which initially, in the early days of the, the conflict, um, abstained, um, have since changed their vote and have either voted or they've voted in support of some of these resolutions. And so maybe um, South Africa might remain intransigent and, and remain firm in its position. But we might see other African countries um, perhaps looking at us as an example of a country that's being punished for its position, and they might change their votes. Um, and so we'll maybe we'll we'll watch events at the United Nations carefully um, as a, as a very soft indication of of what happens with respect to ourselves, but elsewhere on the continent as well. So that's been it. You know, very, very interesting and uh, yeah, fascinating uh, dive into what's going on in the world of uh, you know South Africa and its place on the international stage um, against the backdrop of its position um, with the United States. Where do they stand? Um, you know, how do they stand? How do they position themselves? Um, that's actually going to be a big question that a lot of people will be watching uh, when it comes to South Africa's leadership uh, but as a country it will be interesting to see how things develop over time um, as we said the u.s is on a mission uh, to actually sway as many people um, onto its side when it comes to that russia ukraine conflict as uh, as much as possible uh, but we wait to see how things do develop um, even in the BRICS fraternity right um, it, it one of the things i'm keen to see is whether we're going to be seeing um, similar moves to what we've seen um, with South Africa um, you know is there going to be 
there there already is pressure but is there going to be an intensifying um and singling out um of uh, the likes of brazil the likes of india um when it comes to some of these things or has south africa just emerged as a soft target on that end and uh, the other piece um, of the equation is uh, i guess we just hope that the rand uh, does retreat back uh, to where it was because yes, um, I, <laughs> I think i think uh, ordinary south africans especially if you're buying or, or paying for anything internationally it is terrible i did some travel recently and i had to convert to us dollars and uh, it's it's not pretty at the moment in the day in the currency market so we wait to see how things develop over time hopefully we'll get low back on in a couple of months to dissect you know what would have happened some of uh some of the steps uh, that he's looking out for. He mentioned the BRICS summit. He mentioned the Goa um, summit that's meant to also happen. And also, you know, some of the voting on a UN level. Those are some of the things that, uh, you know, they'll be keeping an eye on. So that's been it. We were chatting uh, to uh, Lowell who is a senior uh, political analyst over at uh, Oxford Economics Africa. Low, thank you so much for being with us today. Most welcome. Thank you. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. I've been Murio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So from myself and the rest of the team it is a good evening good afternoon and good morning